is episode number 58 with James McDermott and Natasha Davis. Thanks for tuning into the podcast today. I'm always excited about the guests we bring on here as each person has achieved a high level of success in their field and I know they can help others by sharing their knowledge. Our guests today hit a chord with me when I saw their work because their vision and my vision are 100% aligned. A few years ago, I couldn't stop thinking about the thought I had of teaching social and emotional learning skills via virtual reality. I had some prominent virtual reality companies that I had been following and I put them up on my wall with the vision that maybe someday we would see students learning SEL via these new modes of learning that were highly engaging. I had an image of what the lessons would look like. I could actually see a forest with students choosing different paths and learning new skills with each pathway that they took. Like for example, if they made a life decision, it would give them the opportunity to see the effects of this decision and the reality of if I do this, this will happen, showing them the consequences of their actions. After my interview with David Adams, which is episode 54, I received a message on LinkedIn from James McDermott, who had heard David's podcast about a potential next guest for the show when I finally had a chance to watch the video, I have to say I was blown away. This was the vision that I had for SEL brought to life. I watched a walkthrough of a virtual reality lesson from the WISE Emotional Fitness Program, and there was even a forest in the video. I wrote back to James, and I'm not kidding, I had tears in my eyes, and I said, yes, I wanna learn more about this. And before I know it, I'm speaking with James from Curious, that's with two eyes, He's in Australia. We're talking by a video conference about the WISE program. And here we are today, and we've got the heart and soul as well of creator of the program, Natasha, with us. So welcome, James and Natasha. Thanks so much for being here today. But I want to first of all give you more background on James and Natasha. James has extensive experience in education, learning, design, and consultancy with a passion for new technologies and enacting transformational change across whole school systems. He's a published author, contributing writer for TEDx, and was a co-creator for Play Futures with the Lego Foundation, where they focus on bringing learning through play to children around the world. After a few minutes of speaking with James, his passion for building authentic learning opportunities and inspiring future generations came through loud and clear. Natasha, who James explained was the heart and soul of the program, is a clinical psychologist with over 15 years experience designing, researching, and then implementing emotion regulation and relationship building programs for adolescents and adults. She's the director of a community-based clinic and has held many leadership positions in private and nonprofit sectors. Natasha was the lead subject matter expert during the development of this truly innovative program. Welcome, James and Natasha. Thanks, Andrea. Thanks so Thanks, much, first of all, both of you for being here and sharing all that, that you've created all the way from Australia, where it's already Monday morning for you over there. So I want to learn more about the WISE program, and I've got some questions for you. The first question is for Natasha. First of all, Natasha, congratulations on what you've created. I think it is purely brilliant. Can you explain where this vision began for you? Hi, Andrea. Gosh, I appreciate that introduction. Thanks for having James and I here. 
Um, when I think about the vision of the program, I, I guess it just aligns with what my uh, vision in life and mission in life is, is to improve the emotional fitness of kids, teachers and parents by making the invisible more observable and guiding them through change. I guess the, the tricky thing when it comes to emotions is it is invisible to us. You know, unlike physical health, uh, where everyone knows, you know, by the age of three, how to apply cream to a burn or how to wash a cut when they fall over. Um, and even particularly at the current time with COVID, where there's a lot of public education and awareness about the invisible but detrimental impact of things like viruses and germs on us as well. We can learn about these things that are unseen and take steps to change our behaviours to stay safe. Yet when it comes to emotions and relational processes, even though they're unseen as well and all happen inside us, we're a long way behind in terms of our knowledge and the public um, awareness of what to do when they have certain emotional reactions to things or how to make positive change in their life when their emotions are impacting on them or their relationships aren't going right. So I guess for this program, I was super keen to be able to develop a program which allowed for um, kids and parents and teachers to come into contact with, first of all, more knowledge of what's going on inside them. And through a process of uh, a guide, which is similar to what I do in my therapy rooms, learning about the new skill to that situation once they have that awareness so that it can make some change in their real life. When Curious approached me and talked about using virtual reality to do this, I saw it as a wonderful opportunity to provide these life-changing skills who, to kids and, and parents and teachers who wouldn't otherwise get access to it. And particularly in the format of a classroom, that meant that they had an individualized learning experience in the group format. It meant that it was gonna have a far greater reach than I could really do in any other format. Well, I think it's brilliant because I saw it years ago and so hats off to you for what you've done, um, partnering with Curious and then bringing this vision to light because uh, even we had Mark Brackett on in an earlier episode, Permission to Feel, uh, with his, his book, Permission to Feel. Um, he talked about the fact that we're just still figuring out how to name the emotions that we're having. And so we're at this very beginning stage. So naming the emotions and then seeing how the certain pathways go when we make certain choices. I think that what you've done is brilliant. Well, thank you for that. And I guess um, it's, it's super important. I know that James is very generous in saying that I'm the heart and soul of the program, but it really was a strong collaboration between James as well as another one of our co-workers, Mick Hamill, uh, to really work together to bring together this um, approach, which I can talk more about, um, but it's, it certainly wasn't just from a good psychological um, principled perspective. It also was the animation component to bring out that narrative and story and gaming mechanic, as well as the educational components and making sure we're really touching on all of those areas for metacognition as well. So it's, um, there's, there's a lot that's gone into the thinking behind this program and I'm really pleased that you uh, were excited by it and, um, and uh, that's certainly the response we've had from people that have been in it. Well, of course, but uh, my initial excitement was because I recognized something that I saw years ago 
but what's the methodology behind it? So in the same way as I was saying, um, you know, it's so difficult for us to understand what's going on inside us. This is one of the, the huge barriers with learning about emotions and learning about relational processes. So throughout the program, we use what, what I've described as an inside-out methodology. So it equips the individual to have practical skills to understand their emotions, um, understand their urges, their thinking processes, and to then be able to take that information to the outside world, to be able to see it in people around them, and to be also able to make their own change through understanding more about what's happening um, for them in each of those situations. So the, um, the VR format itself actually provided a wonderful private learning experience that is immersive social emotional learning. So at each step of it, they're really immersed within the experience, but it's private in that the, with the headset and the format, the individual can focus solely on themselves. So the um, learning process that's required for, for say that first step of making change, which is self-awareness, the individual doesn't have other people around them distracting them or the self-consciousness that would otherwise come into a room, particularly if we're giving this to people in a group format, not just kids, but adults as well, that would normally be interrupting their individual learning process of self-awareness. Um, in addition to that, we also have the blended learning uh, format to allow them to take that information that they've now learned in that private learning experience and take it into a format with a group where they can interact with their, their partner, person beside them, and extend on their learning. Uh, the extension in the learning is done both in the format of written, so in terms of guidebooks, as well as, as also in the dialogue to others around them. So that blended learning format allows for us to adopt something um, that we've, we've termed learn, do, teach. So the learning happens, it's sort of a modified version of the see one, do one, teach one. It's been augmented with procedural learning in there to enhance that process. So this is what's often used in, um, in areas of medicine and, and health services, where we're wanting an individual to be able to see what's going on, uh, learn from that experience as well as teaching someone else. Well, we have added to that the guided procedural learning component. So it's a step-by-step skills-based learning paradigm. The combination of all of that means that the individual gets to tune into their emotions, they get to understand more about what's happening for them, and then they're getting to um, utilise those skills in the real life, a bit like learning to drive, essentially. And I guess when we're thinking about it in the context of kids, what we also designed was that their parents and teachers were also equipped in the same way that they are. This is, uh, I know that um, James is very passionate about this, as I am as well. The importance of the people around young people also knowing the skills to guide them in how to use uh, the right emotional regulation skill given the right situation, and even not overreacting when, when they find that someone is upset about something, knowing how to validate and respond um, just like they would if they were teaching them as a driving instructor in a car. The child is like getting behind the wheel of the car trying to learn how to drive. Well, they need their parents beside them. I'm sure you do this in, in America. We do this in Australia where the parents are required to do 120 hours here in Australia, actually, of driving instructing of their adolescent. Uh, no parent would say that they would give their car 
to their child, give the keys to the car and say to the child, off you go, if they haven't been taught how to drive. And it's the same with our emotions. If the kids aren't taught how to drive by the parents that is driving their emotions, then they're not going to know how to stop wrapping it around the telegraph pole metaphorically or how to keep it on the road and in between the lines. Well, so that's part of our model as well. That's such a powerful example because uh, learning to drive, I hit a snowbank and that was the end of my driving lesson with my dad. So I had to go with another instructor and learn from someone else that what was emotionally regulated. So I was just putting all the pieces together. You've got to learn from someone that has these skills. And, and it's so important for us as parents to be able to step back and, and make sure that we're patient with, with our children when they're learning these skills. Absolutely. And listen, Andrea, from my work, what I find is a lot of that impatience comes from the fact that they don't know what to do with the emotions themselves. They're distressed on um, being able to feel the distress of the young person. So hence why it's really important as a parent or a teacher to notice that you're getting distressed first and foremost and being able to calm that. So you can then think clearly and guide that young person through what they might need to do to calm down. Yeah, so no, the driving instructor one is one. <laughs> Doesn't matter which continent we're on, I think we can all relate to those, those uh, examples. I'd just like to add here, if I can, Andrea, <clears throat> we've talked about parents um, and, and how important it's been for us to apply that whole school approach. And coming into this opportunity, as Tash did from the educational side of things, my background by trade is a teacher, primary school teacher specifically. Uh, and during my formal training years, uh, we touched on, I guess, more of the developmental psychology uh, space around learning theories in particular. And whilst they're very, very important and very uh, close to my heart, I hadn't learned any of these things that I've been very fortunate to learn across this project, but working very closely with Natasha. And so, um, you know, it's a broad brush statement here, but one would say that if I myself, have, who's gone through formal training at university level to become a teacher, hasn't been exposed to something like this and certainly hasn't prior, <clears throat> then most teachers across the school systems wouldn't have had that opportunity either. Yeah. And so what Natasha just mentioned there and what you mentioned as well, Andrea, in terms of your learning and being a parent and what we need to be thinking about as a parent, we really do need to be focusing on this at the teacher level as well, at, indeed at the whole school level. And so this methodology that, we've, that Natasha has explained, we feel is, is the best way forward to create that universal touch point um, because our focus is not just at the student here. It really is to create that systemic change across the whole school system. Oh, it's brilliant, James. It, it really is so important. And I know that you are the educational advisor to the program. Can you give some background on what you're also doing to ensure that WISE is evidence-based, aligned to COSL.org's SEL competencies and universal curriculum requirements? Because I know that's so important for educators these days. Yeah, yeah, thanks for sure it is. It's really important. And in speaking with a number of each, uh, educators, including some of my family members that I do on a regular basis, um, it absolutely is really important. And what is also really important for those in, in the education space is to ensure that there is some form of research or evidence-based alignment to new programs, new approaches to learning, uh, or just even new thought patterns around what we need to 
reevaluate in, in re, re, uh, transformation of our curriculums, for example. So thankfully, <laughs> Natasha and I, and hopefully I can speak on behalf of Tash here, we are, we are ugly obsessed with research. I certainly am. I call myself a pseudo-academic at heart. Um, have started my doctorate, but pulled back. Um, look to finish it at some point in time. So when Curious uh, decided to bring us on board to create this project, Natasha and I automatically said, well, we need to align this to evidence-based uh, literatures. Uh, longitudinal uh, would be preferred. So um, Castle was an obvious. Uh, Castle, we all know here, has, has been around since 1994. And getting to know more about Castle and speaking with some Castle uh, members, um, Personally, it's, it's, you can tell that they believe in what they're doing. You can tell that what they have created and what they're still working towards is just of such importance. And of more recent times, um, they've started to really uh, publish a significant amount of white, what I would call white papers that showcases or demonstrates not just the importance of evidence, but also the importance of social-emotional learning and how we need to re rethink what social emotional learning looks like for schools, for whole school communities and the effects that it's having on those students and those teachers and those parents. So some of the studies that have come out recently have shown that 93% of teachers want a greater focus on SEL in schools, 93%. That's a huge percentage. So clearly there is a need for social emotional learning. Um, I think what was interesting out of that paper was that they want to prioritize it in terms of the integration of learning practices and strategies, which is exactly what wise emotional fitness affords, but the key word there being integrative. So what does that look like from an integrational perspective rather than as a bespoke per se? Um, the other one in terms of academic achievements, which is not our focus here in wise emotional fitness, but I understand and appreciate that it is a focus of schools. Um, you know, 57%, uh, of students in schools for improvement in their skill development by having an opportunity to be part of a social emotional learning program. So I think it's Castle has done and others have done a really great job of putting a spotlight on the need for social emotional learning. I think we're now at a point where we need to be putting a spotlight on what quality social emotional learning looks like. What is foundational social emotional learning look like? Uh, because you know, in the age of COVID right now, uh, ed tech is, is the booming industry, right? And, and there's a lot that is being put out there into the marketplace for teachers to use. Some teachers are a little unsure which way they need to go. And so to, specific to your question, to try to, to clutter through the noise, as it were, we also very early on, it was one of my first tasks was to put together an advisory panel um, that, would, that would meet uh, once every two weeks uh, when Natasha and I would be a part of that call and we would discuss the fundamental challenges as well as the most important aspects to this program that need to be considered, that need to have some form of alignment towards, uh, say, the Castle Core competencies, ethics, for example, uh, best practice. So Dr. Desiree Murray, um, a interventionist in clinical psychology from Chicago, was one of our advisory panel members as well as uh, a beautiful man by the name of Ahasan Suso, who was awarded Teacher of the Year in the state of New York uh, in, uh, last year, um, who in, indeed actually rolled out his own social-emotional learning program, but more in the analog world, and, and had an amazing result to that, actually. And so Ahasan brought in the on-the-ground on teacher-practitioner perspective, 
and uh, Desiree brought in the interventionist evidence-based criteria. Um, and Tash, being a part of research in her previous life, had other things to bring in as well. Lastly, we've been working with a university in Australia, uh, the University of New South Wales in particular, a very agile group called Future Minds Lab, um, who have been working in this space for quite some time, actually. And it's been tremendous to be able to have them uh, support us in rolling out this program in order towards getting efficacy, but also some, some important research uh, touch points that we need to not necessarily adhere to, but feel that we, we've done our job to go to market. Well, for someone who's launched a program into the school market, I can see that you're doing every single step correctly, the right way. And I'm so impressed because I made so many mistakes along the way as I was launching mine. So it's nice to see you going about this uh, and, and hitting on all the steps that you're taking. And we do have uh, the CEO of Castle coming up this month, May 20th, she's on the schedule. Um, Karen Beebe, and uh, we'll be speaking with her and a lot of the conversation that you just mentioned, we're going to dive deep into that for people that might be looking to make sure that they're choosing a program that is evidence-based. And I'll make sure that I reference back to you when I'm interviewing her because you've gone through all the right, the correct steps for this. So it's, again, yeah, I would talk to you for everything you're doing. Oh, yeah, th thank you. It's, uh, it's definitely, as Tash said, been a team effort. And, and I, I must admit, I'd like to commend the executive committee uh, and CEO of Curious. They took a very brave position when I think they brought Natasha and I on. Um, you know, th there was an original idea just to use virtual reality for what it is in terms of the ability to create simulations. And Natasha and I were like, or could we do this? And this is what it could look like. And by the way, it needs to be evidence-based. And they're like, what? So they really gave us the opportunity to drive a really new paradigm in how we would deliver social-emotional learning. And they took the back seat and said, okay, well, you guys are the experts here. You do what you need to do. Um, I just wanted to qualify that uh, whilst working closely with Castle over the development of this project, we still uh, hope to do so. We are still working towards... Um, getting accredited by Castle, whilst we're not accredited as such. It is a long process and it does require um, significant amount of research to be aligned towards that, which is what we've been doing with Future Minds Lab. So um, we believe in the process. We believe in the work that Castle is doing. Uh, we've indeed aligned our learning framework to the Castle core competencies. So it, it's, it's, it's a slow process, but it's one that we strongly believe in and, and we continue to work towards. Wonderful. Well, I've, I've been through the process. It's been a few years that I've been working to align with CASEL, and I'm still going through the process. So once we interview Karen, um, middle of this month, I'm sure we'll have more and more details. I've asked for more and more support for people out there that might be like you, starting and launching a new SEL program and want to know how exactly do we prove efficacy and they don't know? And how do mm. we align to CASEL? Because mm. the, the program guides are very thin in the middle school and high school area. So when mm. educators are now know to where to look, I'd like to see that those program guides have more choices for middle school and high school, which they, they currently don't. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. Um, it, in Australia, there's been a strong 
push and uprising uh, within early childhood. Mm-hmm. And coming from early childhood prior to Curious, working with the Lego Foundation and as a consultant, it's, I can see why. I think early childhood are the seminal years in our learning and as of such importance. Uh, but we, do not, we, we need to ensure we're not neglecting the other areas within education. And I know Tash is very, uh, feels very strongly about this, working with the teenage years. And us going through those teenage years ourselves, you do understand it's a temperamental time. Uh, so we do need to have that focus on those years as well. Can you give some more background of the influencers of the program you, that you've spoken with and how have they influenced your work? Yeah, sure. And I'd like Tash to speak to this as well um, from some of the theories or applications you've used, Tash, dialectical behavior therapies. But uh, in terms of the personas, uh, as I mentioned, Al Hassan and Desiree have been tremendous in offering their time uh, and their expertise and their knowledge around these areas. And may I say, particularly in the American market. Um, so our focus uh, is, is in Australia, but also very much in North America. Uh, and we do look to take this global at some point in time. But North America and Australia has been our firm focus. And so um, I, sh- I also should have mentioned in your, pre- in your previous question that uh, we have aligned it to the, what I would call the universal curriculum uh, outcomes, uh, in particular health education. This program hasn't been built for a specific subject area or a specific time within a timetable for a school day. Uh, It's not that uh, linear, it's a lot more dynamic, but we have done our best to ensure that we've at least thought through uh, the pain points of teachers, which is needing to be curriculum aligned. And so we feel health education is, is the best place for that. And so back to your question of now, Al Hassan has been amazing in helping us and influencing the development of this program because he is, he is teaching. He, he, I'm no longer teaching. I, I am a teacher. I've taught across all the systems in Europe and Australia. So I, I put my hand on my heart and say, I, I think I have a good idea of what education looks like and where we need to take it. I haven't been teaching for a couple of years. I'm not on the ground in the battlefields anymore. And certainly I haven't delivered a social emotional learning program in a different capacity to students. And so it was really important for us to speak to someone like an Al-Hassan Suso to get an understanding about what do we need to be considering here? What does this program have to have? Um, What are the pressure points? What are the pain points for you, for administrators, for parents, for students? And so likewise, Desiree has been terrific because she's she's got a wealth of knowledge around interventionists, around programs that she's been employing for a long time, looking towards research, looking towards what is best practice interventions. Um, and so those two have been uh, terrific in helping and influencing the program. Someone else I'd like to mention, and whilst she um, was unable to continue in an advisory capacity due to uh, other, other conflicts of interest, is uh, Dr. Sorry, Associate Professor Erica Southgate. She's an, she's an Australian academic uh, in the area of ethics in emerging technology is a very interesting space and something we need to continue talking about and I can say again hand on heart is very important for us at Curious if we're going to market as a quality provider of, in, of virtual reality education and training it is imperative that we think these things through particularly to the school children. Erica has been uh, very important in guiding us through what essentially is, is still very much blurred lines and, and, and a dark hole around what is ethics what do we need to be considering and certain safe practices uh, guidelines for classroom setup and design. 
And so Erica, I would say, is someone else that early on in the piece, we were, we were speaking with regularly around the, the, the really important things around ethics and health practices. But Tash, is there anything else you'd like to add from a psychology perspective that you feel has influenced the program? Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned Erica there, actually, James. So Erica's, um, so she was advising on the ethics around VR particularly. And we were just so well supported in every aspect of the program, having that advisory board made up of that in that, um, in that way. I think, um, so in terms of the content of, of the material and the format of it, uh, a great influence on me has been running emotion regulation programs in my clinic. Um, as you said in your introduction there, Andrea, I've been doing that for over 15 years now. And I developed a program that was based on dialectical behaviour therapy. And it was, it was directed towards adolescents and it involved their parents. And one of the things that um, I did, I had run it in many different formats. So we'd run it as a group-based format at one particular point in time. And then we transitioned it to being online content. And I think uh, one of the things that occurred to me, it's not just about having good content, it's, it's in the engagement with that content that you determine what the effectiveness of the program. So the thing that I found with both those those particular formats so the group based format didn't work particularly well with the adolescents because they needed to have their parent with them there was a lot of resistance to that and then we had problems where we had um, cohorts of kids at the one school coming to to the clinic and they didn't want to be in the room together um, so that was one problem where they're trying to learn these skills of self-awareness and regulating emotions they don't want to do it with someone who they've had a falling out with and then on the other side, when we had it in the online content, which was purely delivered as an, a, an audio file with basically PowerPoint presentation, um, it was about 10 years ago now, that particular format had great uptake from the parents, but not good uptake from the kids. Uh, in fact, our statistics showed that the kids weren't completing the program. They pretty, they pretty much got uh, to the end of the first week and then they did no, nothing more. Uh, so the parents were good trainers for them. They were good, um, if you think about the driving instructors, they became good driving instructors, but they didn't have the kids participating in the program with them. So one of the huge influences for me was the feedback that I've received over those 15 years from people trying to learn these skills. Mm. And in fact, the, um, the thing I really enjoyed doing was sitting down with James and, um, and Mick and we'd come up with an idea, you know, where I was being challenged to really break down the skill into the core component so that we could get just this um, fine point specificity of application of the skills. Uh, and I'd find myself going over to the clinic again, running my usual um, consultations, and I just happened to be able to use the skills with clients in the room to then go, oh, no, this is the, the, the order that we want to demonstrate these skills in. So for example, for, for gaming mechanics, Mick was saying he needs to know which one to apply first and which one to apply second. So because there isn't any of this stuff in the literature at that level of specificity, um, I came up with my hypothesis and got it tested out in the room with clients and then got to take it back to the, um, the developers to say, this is the order we should be doing it in. Mm -hmm. So um, it was not only many years of um, implementing very robust clinical procedures, it was also just the ongoing feedback that we've received from clients across time and also when we were running the, and developing the program. That's so interesting to me 
your feedback about what the, the students thought, because this was the feedback that I had received from doing work with, with students with social emotional learning. Uh, I've taken my program and shown it to some key leaders that were helping advise me to the, the direction of where I needed to go. And they always said, Andrea, what do the students think? Did the students like the program? Do they find it engaging? And I had to honestly say the teachers liked it because they knew the skills the students needed to learn. But I saw the missing piece. The, the, the kids didn't, weren't jumping up and down going, yes, we want to learn this. They loved the dialogues, talking and learning new things that they weren't learning typically in the classroom that were giving them skills outside of the classroom that they needed in life. But there was a missing piece. And that's when I saw the virtual reality. That's probably where I thought this is when the students are going to love this. And it wasn't until, you know, I just never could figure out that piece. But you guys figured that piece out, that engagement for the students. I think that one of the things it ties into this idea of what's, what's been our feedback. and who have been our influences. I think they work together here and and we've been very lucky and have been given the opportunity. And to be honest, it's just good business. Uh, in terms of our market research around our primary customers, we've been taking this to them and, and saying, what are your thoughts? You know, what do you think about this? Is this going to work? Is this, do you believe in this? Are you, are you encouraged? Are you excited by this? Where, where do things need to change? Uh, is, there, is there room for improvement? And there's always room for improvement. It may come across as being a little, as a unique approach, um, but it's not. Because one of the things we need to be very cognizant of here is that this is a social emotional learning program, yes. But it's being delivered in something that is still relatively very new. Uh, you know, there, there a lot of philosophers and, and venture capitalists and futurists have had thought virtual reality, augmented reality would be in our eyes and minds quite a long time ago. I attended a, a seminar at the World Economic Forum back in New York towards the end of last year. And there was a, a significant amount of investors there and technologists from augmented reality in particular. And they all said it was our expectation that right now all of you in this room would be wearing AR goggles and you would be listening and seeing me through augmented reality. Clearly that has not happened. And then the questions started to flow Why? And so when we've been going to our potential buyers, to our customers, to our interested audience members, who I would say are all influencers of this program in these early adopter stages, uh, we have listened with open ears around what it is that works well for them and what it is that we might need to tweak that we're able to tweak without having to do heavy lifting as it were from a product development perspective because it's not social emotional learning specifically it's the methodologies that have been employed to complement the learning affordances that virtual reality has been shown to be very powerful in administering so that's been our equation as we've worked through um, the feedback that we've been looking for and that we've taken on board. Got it. And what is your vision for where you see it going? We're here. Where, where do you want to take this? I'm going to go with you first, Tash. Yeah, sure. Um, I would love to see this in every school as a resource for any child to use at any point in time. 
I would love to see it in workplaces so that there are the goggles up in the corner of the, um, any office where someone can choose to put on the headset and choose to do box breathing because they're about to do a, a presentation and just feeling like they're a little bit keyed up and on edge. I'd like this to become the equivalent for adults as, um, you know, to replace those unhealthy habits that they have of finishing a day and having a cigarette or a glass of wine or a beer or something like that. Instead, before they leave, leave work to go home, that they instead grab the goggles, decompress, and are able to find themselves feeling like they are ready to interact for the next point in whatever their day is, getting on public transport, interacting with their partner, kids. Um, when it comes to this, not only the technology, but the program and the skills underneath it, essentially, like I, I said at the start, I really want people to have a better understanding of what's going on inside them so they know what those common remedies are for the emotional hurts that they have, for the signs and symptoms of distress and to be able to better manage themselves in relationships because they understand themselves and the other person a lot better. Um, that's where I see this technology provides access to a, a coach, a therapist, if you like, that can take them through um, a guided experience in the first instance, but the top-ups on a regular basis to help them stay in, in their own in their own point of optimal performance and, and you know, point of connection for, for being a human being. Yeah. Over to you, James. <laughs> yeah, well, Tash, I don't know if I can really follow up on that because that was, that was almost bringing a tear to my eye. I, I think, um, I, I agree. I think everything you said there is exactly where my vision lies. Um, you know, we've been using this word within Curious for a little while now around the democratization of access to these types of skills, these foundational skills. As I said at the very start, Andrea, I, I hadn't come across any of these things. I hadn't even come across box breathing that Natasha had just referred to that I'm sure you know as well, Andrea. And so by working very closely with Tash and her team, um, I have learnt these skills. And I have to say, hand on heart, I use one of these skills that I've now been taught through the development of this program daily. Most often at night for me, a um, bit of maybe overshare, but I, I struggle to sleep. Uh, my mind is very busy. And so when I wake up um, each night, which I do, uh, to get myself back into a state of calm, to get back into sleep, uh, I use one of these skills, um, whether it be counting or, or um, mindfulness is a big thing for me in my day-to-day -day practices. I spend a lot of time in nature. And for me, I don't see nature as the drug per se. I see nature as the opportunity to be more mindful and, and to calm yourself down. And so for me, it's breaking down the four walls. We hear this term a lot. Uh, I think we're at that place now in time when we call it the fourth industrial revolution, where we're seeing the blurring between the physical and the psychological. I think we are there. And we're looking at it in the age of COVID right now, it's becoming more apparent that we've actually got the technological solutions to drive these access points. And I think when it comes to social emotional learning, which is just so important now more than ever before, by using the marrying of this technology that is virtual reality, it does provide us with that democratization effect where you don't need to necessarily go to a clinical psychologist uh, or in terms of a four wall environment, you can go within a virtual means. Um, and, I, and, and one of the things that really took me to heart uh, back to your feedback point around was one of our schools in a city of arts in, uh, in LA in California. 
we got to watch a video that was recorded of, of a class that was um, working through one of our lessons, lesson two, I think it was, that uh, unpacked box breathing. There was a student, a 13-year-old, I believe, that was standing up in front of the classroom of his peers with the teacher next to him in support, teaching in the real world how to draw a box to reinforce the box breathing that was being taught or guided through the virtual reality experience through one of our characters called Wise One. The student uh, went to draw out the box in a two-second time frame. And Tash could probably speak a bit more about this, but from my teachings of box breathing, you want to do it over a four-second time period. You know, you hold for two, breathe out for two. And so when he did just two and not four, you should have seen the reaction of his peers. Uh, it wasn't a reaction of, you've done it wrong. It was actually a reaction of excitement and deep engagement about, no, it's got to be four. And so all of a sudden, you're seeing this generalizability of this skill, this use, universality of this use of language that is box breathing to calm someone down. And let me tell you, as a teacher for many, many years across the public and private school systems, I never thought you'd get to a point where you're actually seeing excitement and engagement from students about something that is called box breathing. And that's all come through the development of this program, Natasha's work and the power of virtual reality. It's powerful when the students get involved and, and they're enjoying it. That's, I think that's what everyone has to see if, to have the belief of it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I think that the close on the vision piece, um, I've mentioned before this whole school system change. I, I'm a huge believer of it. I know in education, we're looking for that now. We need to. I attended a town hall virtual meeting with a number of schools from the Bronx, Queens, New York, uh, just last week. And they were talking about that. Interestingly, in the current stage of COVID, they've never seen a closer connection between the home and school environment where parents actually being wanting to hear from the, the principalship or from the teachers about what they're doing to support their students whilst they're remote learning, or indeed the parents or guardians having to oversee what the students are doing in the home environment because um, they're, they're actually observing the teaching that's going on because they're right next to them in that home environment. So what we're trying to do here with the WISE Emotional Fitness Program is create a WISE learning ecosystem where we actually provide the same level of experience, the same level of skill application not just to the student level, but to the administrator, teacher level, to the parent level, to the counselor level, to the whole school community level. So if someone says, I did some box breathing today because I wasn't feeling so good, every single person knows exactly what they're talking about. Can you give some more background on the company, Curious? And if someone wants to learn more, what's the best way to learn how to contact you and learn more about this program? Yeah, of course. And thanks for that question and opportunity. Um, look, Curious has been around a long time. Um, it's funny being in ed tech at the moment. A lot of people think you're a startup and there are a lot of startups and they're, they're doing wonderful things and, and we need them in society right now. But Curious is not a startup. Curious has been around for over 20 years. Uh, essentially, it's a creative community, uh, communication agency. Um, so it's worked for a very long time in creating story-driven immersive experiences um, and most recently backed up by the latest technologies and innovation designs like virtual reality. So um, they, they do a lot of work in computer-generated content. Um, so if you think projections onto walls or uh, some of the most terrific work that Curious has done to date is uh, if you're fortunate enough to come to Australia or you've been to Australia before and you've gone to the Sydney Opera House and you've seen the sales of the Sydney Opera House in particular, which is a beautiful piece of architecture, 
um, there's once a year there's a vivid light show where they have a lot of uh, computer generated interactive uh, projections that come onto to onto the opera house sales and they tell a story a very rich story um, curious is has been responsible for creating that that level of a grade quality content for a long time now um, the same with the closing and opening ceremonies of the Commonwealth Games, for example, which is similar to the Olympics, but just for the Commonwealth. Um, so their reputation in providing A-grade quality immersive content has been well documented for a long time. Um, now, recent times, they've seen the learning affordances of, and power of virtual reality. So they've, they've pivoted or migrated more into that, that area. Specifically to where you can learn more about the WISE Emotional Fitness Program, um, of course, you can go to the website, which is www.curiouswithtwoeyes.com. If you want to reach out to me specifically to answer any other questions you may have, that's james.m at curious, again, with two eyes.com. Um, we are looking to uh, put this into school systems come the new school year in North America. Uh, we're talking and have been working with schools for a little while now. Um, but in the age of COVID, we're giving it uh, the time and space that everyone deserves uh, and, and saying we want to support your school systems come the new school year in the September 2020 uh, to put it into the schools. Um, but if there's anyone that's got further interest in, in getting an experience of what this program actually looks like uh, or wants to know more from Natasha around the evidence or the methodologies that we've employed, please feel free to reach out either via our website or directly through my email address. Got it. And if someone wants to reach Natasha for some more information, Natasha? Yes, um, in the same sort of way. I think uh, via email is probably easiest for me, natasha.d at curious.com. So that's, um, you're more than welcome to reach out to me via that. And it's something that I'm very passionate about, as you can see. So we'd love to hear from people. Mm. Well, I share the passion. So I want to thank you both so much for taking the time to speak with me today and for creating such an innovative program to help young people develop into the responsible citizens that we all hope for our next generation. And I do look forward to following your progress and hope this interview leads to introductions to connect you to schools and educators who want to learn more about this innovative virtual reality emotional fitness program. So I hope that anyone that sees this does reach out and uh, get, gains access to you to have a look at the program. Thank you so much, both of you. Yeah, thanks very much, Andrea. It's um, been terrific to have this opportunity and, and the work that you're doing as well and the people you're bringing on to your podcast. Um, I highly recommend that everyone does go to your podcast. I've listened to it and I think it's an important conversation. We need to be having a lot more. So uh, congratulations to yourself as well for creating something so important. Thanks so absolutely. much. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Andrea. Yeah, absolutely. Back up what James just said there. Thank you so much. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com.